Christmas. My name is Derek. I'm one of the other pastors here, and we are so glad that you're with us. Um, Christmas is tomorrow. Uh, raise your hand if you haven't finished your shopping. Some of you, come on. <laughs> I mean, there's no excuse with Amazon right now. You could have done it all while sitting on the couch. But if you did that and you did your research, maybe you fell into the trap like I did of uh, following the internet. Clickbait. You ever heard of clickbait? Where you see this title for an ad and you have to see it. I saw one this week, and it was a picture of The Rock, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And on it said was, NFL's greatest draft bus. And I'm like, The Rock was drafted? How did I not know? And so I had to follow through the entire thing to see. He, it was just, they tricked me. It was just his picture. And I saw a lot of, yeah, Tim Tebow, I know, Bronco, that failed. But, you know, there's a lot of those clickbait ads, those headlines that capture your attention, and you just have to see what happens. But most of the time, those don't fulfill. But yet, think about through history, there have been those headlines that truly have changed life. You know, some often for the better. Here's one of those headlines. Peace, greatest war of all time over. Now, they didn't have the internet then. So a lot of people, it was when they got this, this headline, they saw the greatest war was over. World War I, uh, this one was over. What's the next one here? Man walks on the moon. Changed a lot. Next one. Prohibition ends at last. Right? That, I mean, that was a big headline that changed the course of, of American history. Now, as we're, we're looking at those headlines, some of these headlines have made big changes. What about the headline that came out about a little over 2,000 years ago? This one here, it was in the Jerusalem Post. <laughs> Christ the Savior is born. You know, let's leave that one up. We're going to be looking in Luke Today, uh, it's going to be on the screen, so you don't have to flip to it. But if you brought your Bible or you want one, there's in the seat pocket in front of you. But we're going to be looking at the great news that came out then, this headline. And often, you know, we go through Christmas just wrapped up in the Christmas things. And the traditions are great. Lights are great. Presents are great. All the food is really great. But the reason we celebrate Christmas is because the greatest news ever came on Christmas Day. The greatest news that God became flesh, that a Savior was born. Look at Luke 2, 8 through 11. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That is the greatest headline our world has ever seen. It changed, I mean, unlike the ending of a war or anything else, this changed the course of all human history. From the very beginning to now, this one event stands out among them all as the greatest for mankind. Again, this was about 2,000 years ago. Now, we're going to look at these verses and just answer a few questions, and then you can head out to your dinner. But here's the first question that I have to ask. Because the, the great news in verse 10, or in verse 11, he says, For today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior. So the first question is, who needs a Savior? 
You know, that's a unique uh, declaration. A Savior has been born. Well, a Savior means people need to be saved. There must be a problem there. Who needs a Savior? Well, a person in danger needs a Savior, right? A person in danger that can't do anything about their problem uh, needs a Savior. We, in the house we used to live in, we had a zip line that I built. I don't recommend it. Um, <laughs> and it went from the kid's playhouse coming down, and sometimes it malfunctioned. Um, and I remember one little kid went on it and got stuck about halfway down. And they were just, just hanging there, just dangling. And, of course, all his parents were just sitting, uh, watching them dangle, just shake a little bit, and it, you know, it wouldn't move. Well, that kid hanging there knew they needed a savior. <laughs> they needed somebody tall enough to go over, grab them, and take them down. They knew they were in trouble. But sometimes... Sometimes we're in trouble, we need a Savior, and, and we don't know we need a Savior. Maybe you've seen these, these experiences in your life. If you've ever been sledding around here, Spooner Summit is kind of the place to go. Um, and if you go to Spooner Summit on the wrong day, pretty much any day, um, when people have come into town to visit Tahoe, and they're like, well, what, where do we sled? They'll ask, where do we sled? Oh, there's this place. And so you'll get people from all over the country, all over the world, who have never sledded before. So they have no idea what they're doing. So they're, you know, carrying their sled, walking up the middle of the track, you know, or they'll be huddled in a group right at the bottom of the hill, you know, tying somebody's shoe. And the whole while, there's this 13-year-old boy who he wants to go, and he's making his way up into the trees. And he's so far up, nobody can see him, except for those of us who have been there a few times. We're looking away, and we see him, and we see everybody down below, and we see that kid ready to go, and they're all in danger, and nobody knows it. And then pretty soon you start hearing the scream, and as he's flying down, and all the parents are like, look out, you know, and parents are grabbing their kids and rolling out of the way, and, and sometimes you get the fun of them not seeing them and this fun, <laughs> but, but they're in danger, and they don't even know they're in danger. Well, this message that these angels brought, you know, today a Savior has been born, meaning there's a danger, and a Savior is here a lot of people don't know about the danger. Now, you may be thinking this is Christmas Eve. We're supposed to just, you know, have candles and be happy. And uh, we're going to do that part. Well, not candles, but be happy. Um, but we kind of have to look at the bad news first. We need to look at the news uh, that we need a Savior before we look at the good news of Jesus being born. And, and here's Romans 3.23. As we go to who needs a Savior, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. You know, that verse right there, it says, for all have sinned. And I, I think if we took a show of hands and we said, have you sinned? Meaning, have you done anything out of line of what God would want you to do? I think most of us would probably raise our hand unless we were liars. And then right there, you have to raise your hand because you were lying. <laughs> because it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so all have sinned. That's a past tense. You've sinned sometime in your past and fall short. That's present tense. We've sinned in the past, and we continue to fall short. You know, even those that have said yes to Jesus, turned their lives over, and then said, now I'm going to live for God, you realize, I, in my own strength, I fall short. Every day, I fall short. And so, this verse says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And here's the cool thing about the Greek word all. It means all. It, it means everyone. Everyone has sinned. We're all in the same boat, meaning there is no room for, for pride or arrogance, but all of us are in the same boat, helpless and hopeless. Wow, wow, wow. 
Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death. All have sinned. The wages of sin is death. Here's that warning. You know, maybe you're here, and church isn't your thing, and guess what? Great. It's not really my thing either. I'm glad you're here. You know, maybe this, this message is new, but, but here's the, the bad news is for all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. What is a wage? A wage is what you deserve, what you've earned. You know, when I was in high school, I worked as a laborer, a hod carrier, bringing concrete and, and bricks and blocks to masons, and I made 10 bucks an hour. So if I worked 40 hours that week, I'd fill out my time card, put it in, they'd write me a check for $400. I, I deserved it. It's what they owed me. Well, our sin has created a debt that we are owed, and that debt is death. For the wages of sin is death. Death, physical death, absolutely. That's the first meaning. You know, when we were created, we weren't created to die. We were created to live forever. We weren't created to die. And death entered when sin entered. The first man, the first woman that God created, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, death entered. And so we will all physically die. But this also has a, a greater, a deeper meaning of spiritual death. Because of sin, we are all spiritually dead, which means right now, separated from God. Because of sin, we are separated from God, spiritually dead. You know, the Bible talks about that. When, when Jesus was speaking to some Pharisees who were religious people, they knew all the rules, and he said, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You are dead men's bones. You look good on the outside, but inside, you're dead. This is what he's talking about, spiritually dead. That is our condition here now in, in this world. But it has a greater importance. For eternity, it means eternal death. The Bible at sometimes calls it the second death. And this is hell. You know, this is separation from God for eternity. The wages of sin, it says, is death. But that verse goes on. I'm not going to read the rest of it quite yet. But this is the good news. You know, a lot of us know we're in danger. You know, every religion out there would agree there's something wrong, right? And I think most of us agree there's, there's something wrong. And every religion will try and give you the answer to what is right, how to get there. But here's the thing about religion. And, and most Christian religion is the same way. It tells you what to do to get to God. It's like God is on the top of the mountain. And so you'll try out this religion that says, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this, and get your way to the top. Ah, that's not really working. Now I'm going to try this other one. Some would say, do whatever you want. They all go to the top. Well, the, the fact is, religion will never, never get us there. We know there's a problem, but there's nothing we can actually do. It's like we have no legs and we're in a swimming competition. We cannot get to the top of the mountain. And that's the great news of Christmas, that we needed a Savior and so rather than us trying to climb the mountain to him, he came down to us. So who needs a Savior? Everyone. Well, here's the next question. Who is the Savior? Who is the Savior? Well, look back at that verse. Luke 2 says in verse 11, For unto you today is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now he's going to go on and know he's talking about Jesus. But who is this Savior? It is Jesus, but he is Christ. The, the word Christ is the, the Greek word for the Jewish word Messiah. It wasn't Jesus' last name, if you knew that. It wasn't Jesus Christ. Christ was his title. He was the Messiah. The Messiah means the promised one. The one that throughout all of the Old Testament, prophets would come and say, hey, somebody's coming. We have a problem, right? This sin God is going to send somebody to fix it. 
You know, Moses was a great prophet that led God's people out of Egypt. He did great miracles. But it was, hey, somebody's coming later who's going to be greater than Moses. They were looking forward to that day. And here's kind of the cool thing is that this Messiah, this promised one, the first time we read about him is right after the first sin. When God created, this this part gives me chills, when God created all that we see, Genesis 1, he created everything, but he had you in mind when he created everything. Crazy. You're not an accident. And he's like, oh, I like that one, I'll choose. He he created us. He thought of us at the beginning. He knew we were going to sin. In fact, he knew every sin you've ever committed and will commit. He knew it. And he planned from the beginning what he was going to do about it. He said, it's worth it for me, knowing what they're going to do, knowing they're going to separate themselves from me because of their sin. I'm still going to do it, and I know what I'm going to have to go through to fix it. And so we get this promise from God in Genesis. Genesis 3, 14 to 15. Now, this is after Adam and Eve sinned. God finds them in the garden hiding because they had sinned, and they knew they were naked now, and they were covering themselves with fig leaves. And so he curses them. They get, a, they get a curse. The land gets cursed. Uh, they had to work before, but it was kind of an easier work, you know, tending the garden. Now there were thorns and thistles and goat heads if you're in Nevada. Those didn't exist before. So part of this curse, though, was then he cursed the serpent, and the serpent was actually Satan. Satan, a fallen angel who tempted Adam and Eve to sin, Satan was cursed. And it says this in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is in Genesis 3. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. In the first couple chapters, we see creation. And here, sin, and right away, he's talking about Jesus. What does he say here? He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. This is interesting. If you've ever taken biology, you know, biology 101, you learned probably that when it comes to procreation, the woman doesn't bring the seed. The man brings the seed. So right away, God was already telling what he was going to do, how he was going to do it. Somebody's going to come, a male is going to be born, but he's going to be born to a virgin because no man is going to bring the seed. It's going to be the woman's seed, and there's going to be enmity between your seed and her seed. In Isaiah 7, 14, this is another prophet looking forward to the Messiah, said this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Christ, promised one. All through the Old Testament, looking forward to this one that would come. And who else would he be? Well, it says in Luke there, he would be Christ the Lord. That word Lord, it's a reference to God himself. And here we see in that Isaiah verse that it will be God himself. You shall call his name Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? Maybe you sing the Christmas song. It means God with us. So Jesus, who was born, is fully God. God took on flesh. God left his throne. He put aside his, all, all that he deserved in his deity for a little while and became a man. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is who Jesus was. We celebrate Christmas. 
This is who Jesus is, the Lord, the Savior, God in flesh. Now, what did the Savior do? If we look back at that Genesis promise, God said that that the, the serpent, Satan, you would bruise his heel, referring to the Messiah, you would bruise his heel. Well, when Jesus rose, or, you know, when he grew up, he was about 30 years old, Jesus went before uh, the priests. They said, Who are, you know, are you the Messiah? We've heard that you claim to be God, are you? He says, you guys say that I'm the Messiah. It comes out of your words, and so they decide they're going to kill him. Well, Jesus, you know the story. We just read some of his resurrection. Jesus was beaten. Jesus was tortured. He had a crown of thorns put on his head. He was put on a cross, and he died a slow death on the cross. If you know anything about crucifixion, you actually die through suffocation because you hang there, and they have to pull themselves up to take a breath and then go back down, and pretty soon they're too weak. They can't pull themselves up. And so that's what it meant when he said, he will bruise your heel. The Messiah died. God in flesh died. He bruised his heel. But what did we just read about in Luke? Three days later, he rose from the dead. It says he will bruise your heel, or you know, he will, the, Satan will bruise the Messiah's heel, but he will crush his head. I, I, a heel is kind of like, hey, get off of me. A head blow, that's a dead blow. You know, that's a killer blow. Jesus, three days later, rose from the dead victorious. When Jesus rose from the dead, and God saw his sacrifice, and he said, accepted. Your payment for sin, accepted, paid in full, that was a death blow to Satan. He was defeated right there and then. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That other verse that I quoted, for the wages of sin is death, it ends with, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is who Jesus is. This is what we celebrate, him coming as a baby. God had to become flesh so that he could die on the cross to save us from our sins. If you don't know you need a Savior, I'm here to tell you in love, you need a Savior. Guess what? You're just like me. I'm no better. You're just like everybody else. We're in the same boat of needing a Savior because of our sin. And this great news, this headline, says, I, I give you good news of great joy that will be for who? For all the people. So who did Jesus come for? All the people. All the people. John 3, 16, we looked at this last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So God loves all people. God desires none to be lost, but for all to come to repentance. Does that mean all will be saved? No. No. Because we must repent, we must turn and follow. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's the last question I have for you this Christmas Eve. Have you called on the name of the Lord? You, you've now heard the good news of great joy. A Savior was born. And now, 2,000 years later, we look back. We see the rest of his life. We know what Jesus did. He died. He rose from the dead, changed everything. And now we have life in him. Don't listen to any church, any religion, me, anybody else that tells you what to do to make your way up the mountain to God. God came down the mountain to you because we can't earn it. And his free gift is salvation because of what Jesus did on the cross. And all we do is cry out. 
All we do is ask to be saved. We, we accept this free gift. That was our theme last year. You know, Christmas, you don't have a lot of themes at Christmas. It's kind of one. Um, but last, last year, we talked about the gifts of Christmas you know, and the gift of salvation that God gives it. We just have to unwrap it. All who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I'm sharing this with you this Christmas Eve, not because we're a, a church and, and uh, we're trying to recruit you or try to get anything out of you. Uh, this is the great thing about being a Jesus follower. You know, I'm not a, a, a Jesus salesman. I'm actually a satisfied customer. <laughs> I, I, I am one of those who has struggled with sin. I was a sinner, and I still fall short. But yet I find my life, my joy, my peace, my hope in Jesus. You know, I know he looks at me and says, I love you, you knucklehead. <laughs> I died for you, and I chose you, not because there's something special about you. Don't get a big head about that, but because I love you. And he's saying the same to you. Have you cried out to Jesus to be saved? Now, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to finish in, in worship. We're going to sing a couple more songs. And we have a baptism. Yay, yes. Now, <laughs> um, the great thing about baptism is it, it was instituted uh, in the early church. You know, it was, it was commanded by Jesus. When, when the first Christians, other than the first disciples, were saved and they asked Peter, said, what should we do? He said, believe and be baptized. Being baptized is the first action a person takes when they're saved. It's their way of saying, I agree with Jesus that I'm a sinner. I repent, meaning I turn from my sin, I turn to you, and I want to be associated with you, God. Baptism doesn't save anybody. It's just a sign. It's a symbol of new life, uh, of being raised from, from death, spiritual death, raised to spiritual life here and now and then through eternity. So we're going to do that after this next song. But during this next song, I have a way for you to respond. You know, here at Common Ground, we like to worship. And we like to worship together. We don't believe worship is a spectator sport, whereas you watch us worship um, and you get the benefit because we're so good at it. Rather, we want to worship. And so here's the opportunity for you. In the seat in front of you, you see hanging there a little ornament. Grab that ornament. You know, if you're comfortable, put your name on it. If not, don't. No big deal. But on the other side, there's a blank space. Write on there uh, a word of praise. Write on there something between you and God. Remember when the wise men came to see Jesus? You know, and they, uh, or the, the kings, we sing the, the We Three Kings of Orientar. They brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We get to bring gifts to God of our praise. And by the way, they are extremely valuable to him. And so this is your chance to respond. Grab that. Write on there whatever it is God is filling your heart of praise to him. It could be a thanksgiving. It could be a prayer if you need. And then during this next song, go hang it on that tree. That's going to be our praise tree. A after the end of these two services, that tree is going to be covered with these praises to God. You know, you may be sitting there and be like, this is really weird. And guess what? It is kind of weird. Um, and we like to do weird things because it's, it, we know we're going to get up and we're going to bump into each other while we're going back there. But we're worshiping together. And so during this next song, uh, you know, sit and sing, stand and sing. Write down your praise and go put it on the tree. And then we're going to have a baptism. If, if this is the first time you've heard this message, or, or maybe this is the time it clicked and you said, I need to say yes to Jesus, you can do that one of two ways. On your ornament, there's a box. You could put your name and then just check the box. I want to say yes to Jesus. Hang it on the tree and we'll get a hold of you and help you with that. Or I'm going to be standing right up here. And during this song, you can come see me. 
Or if you want to get baptized today, you've said yes to Jesus, and you, but you haven't gotten baptized and you're willing to get dunked, we have extra clothes. Um, they might be large sweats, but it's cool. Um, come see me. We'll talk, and we could baptize you today, Christmas Eve 2019. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you that we can, we can praise, we can celebrate what you've done. God, I, I pray that you would now lead our hearts, our hearts to worship you, our hearts to praise you. Jesus, you came in flesh. God, you put on flesh to save us, and you didn't have to. Uh, it, it wasn't because we deserved it. it. It wasn't our right to be saved, but you did it out of your love. And now we respond with praise and thanksgiving to you. God, fill us with your joy this Christmas because of who you are and who we are now in you. In Jesus' name, amen.